I don't like to say the word threat because it assumes that I'm something bigger than I am. And that's a bold assumption to make for anybody. The young designers mostly, they, they try to go with what is currently trending. And I understand they're also trying to reach to the mass market. But at the same time, we need something that will separate you and differentiate you from the rest. But I've had my stand. People would walk right past. They don't even look. They don't even give you a chance to ask you questions, engage you. They just walk past and go to the next designer or the next product that they know about or they know the person, per se, who's even selling it at much higher cost. So it was quite discouraging for a young and upcoming designer like me to see that happen, where I'm not getting a level, play, it's not a level playing field, regardless of my products being up to par. Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. This episode is brought to you by Hivos under the resources of Open Minds Project which supports the global creative work and projects of artists, musicians and media producers around the world. The project, through its various initiatives, aims at supporting a new generation of creative futurists, challenging the dominant narratives, status quo, and providing alternative narratives. In this inaugural edition of the What's Good Creative Ambition, we shifted our eye to the fashion sector to focus on the rift between the young upcoming designers and the established successful designers on differences in business practices, design, mentorship, personal branding, amongst other issues. The speakers included Joel Meshak, the founder and creative director of Naiva, Anyango Mpinga, founder and creative director of Anyango Mpinga, and Winnie Odande, a lead stylist at Switch TV. The conversation was moderated by Connie Aloch, an award-winning fashion stylist and lifestyle curator. Hello everyone, fashion creatives from around the globe and welcome to the What's Good Creative Ambition um, podcast series. We're so excited to be here and thank you for, uh, to Meta and Hebos for giving us a platform. Um, you know, and the key discussion today is the rift between young designers and established designers in Kenya. This is a very interesting topic and I have loads of questions for each of you. So I think Anyango, I'll start with you. Um, Briefly describe, because here you're an established designer. I think your brand is, how old is your brand? Well, this particular brand is turning five um, this year, right? So, I mean, I've been in the industry a bit longer than that. But the Anyangompinga brand is turning five um, this year. And, um, and, you know, I started a contemporary sustainable brand um, because I wanted to cater to the market that is size inclusive, first of all. Um, and prioritizes people and the planet. So by prioritizing people and planet, it means um, I look at manufacturing, I look at ethical sourcing, and I look at materials that are less harmful to the environment um, and make sure that I work with people who also prioritize the workers that um, make their clothes. Um, so that's always been a thing for me. And also when I was establishing my brand, I wanted to make sure that it would be part of um, telling a story of Africa um, in a way that people all over the world can understand it. Because there's always been a mis misconception that African fashion fits into a little box where it looks a certain way. 
and Africa is such a vast continent that you can't possibly group African fashion into one. And the way in which I do that is through my textile designs, um, telling stories of Africa, history, architecture, um, and yeah, and connecting people to our history. Yeah. So do you design your own prints? I do. I do. So every print that I design has its own story and background. And I found it's become a way to connect people to my brand. So much so that when people look at each and every one of my collections, they'll remember it. You know, I've been in instances where I've, I've got into a room and when someone introduced me, they'll say, oh, she did this collection inspired by this and this and this element. And it's a very interesting way of making sure people remember what your collection about. So, so that it wasn't just about, oh, you know, it's the girl who does the white shirt. So it wasn't just about, oh, I really like that red print, but what does it symbolize? Um, so it's, it's become a really important way of getting people to understand also like our culture, because a lot of people um, looking at some of the prints I've done have said to me, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really aware that that's what it symbolized. I wasn't really aware that this practice was still there. Um, and, you know, we've always said we don't like the way our stories have been told, so we have to rewrite our own stories. All right, so I'll come to Joel. Um, Joel, describe to us, um, you have a young um, streetwear brand, I think that's three years old. Just describe to us, um, you know, how you began your journey, that's, you know, so far in the three years and your target market as a young brand. So Naiva, like the name, um, I'm wearing it, has always been about Nai, Nairobi wearing it. So it's about us telling stories of what we are wearing in Nairobi, what we feel, you know, should be a representation of Nairobi. So for a long time, I would see people wearing um, um, international brands and I felt like this was a chance for me to tell the Nairobi story through my pieces. And as my journey as a designer um, continued, I found myself changing my language to social issues as well. So with the chocolatey collection, I addressed colorism, um, I did a piece about um, how we can come together as artists and even collaborate and think of new ideas. So it's always been about how do I tell a story through streetwear, which has always been looked down upon as a, this is ragged or this is, you know, for the young people, but really telling that new story. So that's been difficult to navigate because I feel like we're not that many doing it or I'm one of the few who are doing it in Nairobi. Um, and my target market, I prefer to describe, almost describe the person specifically. Um, I mean, let's come up with someone. Uh, Lucy, can say Lucy is uh, 22. She's um, about to finish uni and she likes to go for events, these Afrocentric type of events. And she's current, so she's aware about the social issues that are going on, the, the strife between um, us and people abroad of the same age. And we still want to be current, but authentic. So Lucy will want to wear something that's from Nairobi, but still has that hip um, current culture. And um, she also goes out with her friends. Um, she likes to leave her hair out natural, but still every now and then we'll have her wig on. Um, so yeah, as I continued um, learning my consumer, I saw that really staying into my path and just directly targeting one person was so beneficial to me because you get to speak um, for them, yeah. Okay, Winnie, um, I have two questions for you. Let me start. Um, you're a stylist in Kenya. I want you to describe your experience. And you're also um, a consumer of these local brands because you use them, um, you wear them, and you also use them for styling. So just give us a brief description about your experience as a stylist. How long have you been doing it and how did you get into it in Kenya? Um, well, this will be my sixth year. I've been doing it for six years now, since 2014. 
So how I got into it was basically from a need, because Dandy Style was birthed from a need of fusing style and functionality. And that is usually my tagline as well, uh, style meets functionality. So how, what happened is when I was in corporate, I used to get a lot of inquiries about what I was wearing. So guys will be like, can I get a skirt like that? Can I get a bag like that? Shoes like that. And then with time, I realized this actually comes naturally to me and it's something that I enjoy doing. So I slowly started doing it while at work. And then after a while, I realized that I can actually make a living out of this. And then by that time, I was already getting tired of the corporate sector because I started working early. So it was more of those, um, let me just go ahead, dive in and try and do this. So that is basically how I started. So I'm um, working in Kenya as a stylist hasn't been an easy one, I will say that. Mainly because um, styling in Kenya was, was and still is to some extent something still foreign. But um, from the time I started up to now, I will say that there's been a huge difference actually. Cause, um, and and I, would ex I would express my my period in styling as progressively happy progressively happy because when i started it was from a time where you had to explain what a stylist is like someone will come to you and be like so are you a fashion designer i'm like no i'm a stylist there's a difference yeah and or when you try to tell them you're a stylist they'll be like so what else do you do for a living so but now we've moved to a point where you can actually say i'm a stylist and people understand we've moved from a place where we randomly get inquiries from people like can you style me for this can you style me for that that wasn't there before so i would say progressively happy because you can see the strides you can see the progress up to now and you can see how people are slowly embracing it and as a stylist as, as a stylist and as one who uses um this local products for styling i will say there's also been a massive growth in that as well because I think from when I started, okay, not that old in it yet, but when I started up to now, we've seen a massive influx of new designers. And it's actually quite amazing to see because for us, it's more of people are slowly starting to see that this is also a career on its own and it's something that one can engage in and one can actually make a living out of it. And one of the things I think, um, when you mention uh, about buying local fas fashion, I think one of the things I would look at is more of the quality, because quality is really a major deal when it comes to items. Um, quality and then pricing, because pricing is also, now that when it comes to now buying the items, pricing. And pricing, of course, for local commodities usually tends to be higher terms because production in Kenya is also a bit high. So for that, I think pricing is relative because everybody has their clientele. So you know what exactly you're doing and your purpose and your intention. So for that, it's a bit relative. But then uh, dependent on, say, the clientele I'm working with or personally, it's more of if the, 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 the product and the price points, if they relate. Because if, say, um, the quality of the garment is bad, the finishing is bad, then there's no way you'll charge me, say, 10,000 shillings for such a product. Because again, I want to see um, what shelf life do I have with the product? Is this something I'm going to wear just once or is it something that I'm going to wear, say, 10, 20 times? Because if I'm only going to wear it, say, once or twice, then why would I buy it? So I think that is one of the things that I also usually look, in, look at when I'm thinking about buying the local fashions. So Nyango, I want to come back to you. Um, when you were coming up as a designer, were you mentored by any of the established designers in Kenya? Um, incidentally, no. <laughs> and it's actually quite a shame because I did approach a few. 
And um, the first reaction was this young girl just thinks she can come here and start designing without a background in fashion. Right. And it was consistent. Like think of your top three names and I probably approached them um, for mentorship. And at that time I was just like, you know what? I have the internet. I'm just going to do my own research um, at the time, I had already started drawing and experimenting. I mean, drawing is something I've been doing since I was a young child. So creating is comes easily for me. So, um, yeah, a lot of them turned me down. Quite a few of them were saying, oh, you know, until you've been to X fashion school, I'm sorry, I can't mentor you until you've done this, until you've done that. So I was like... Well, you know what? I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start doing my research. I started spending so much time on the internet. Uh, Pinterest became my best friend. And, and also reading up on the industry, sketching, experimenting styles on myself. And how people started even like taking photos of me at events was because I was always wearing one of my own pieces. Right? And then if I went to something like people would come to me. So um, if I went to an event or like friends started spreading the word. So mentorship, no, I was never mentored by a Kenyan designer at all. So do you feel like um, the established designers were, were threatened by you coming into the fashion space? Is that the reason why you think you were mentored? Or I, you think I, I, don't like, I don't like to say the word threat because it assumes that I'm something bigger than I am, right? Um, and that's a bold assumption to make for anybody, right? Um, however, I, I, I do see that there certainly was, um, there was this lack of a desire to share information that I saw um, with a lot of the older designers, um, which is why I've decided that I'm not going to make that my thing. <laughs> like sharing information is very is is very important for me because I know what it's like to need information about something that you know the internet can't share with you but like someone who has experienced it um can impart that knowledge and really help you understand and guide you through a process so um yeah, so I think I think it's really important but I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word threat <laughs> because you know, who knows? Who knows what the motivation was behind them not wanting? Um, all I know is that that's changed now, and I and I get requests from a few of them now asking me questions. So it's it's um, yeah. So just one more on that. So are you currently mentoring young designers? Wow, I I've done so much mentorship. I spent the entire like um, October into November mentoring different people. Um, because I'd been getting messages from, from, from all over, you know, from young brands, um, you know, that go into my DM email asking me for mentorship. So I put out a message, um, on my page and on my Instagram and my Facebook. And I said, okay, for the next month and a half, I'm going to mentor X amount of people who come to me. And, and we're not going to do group sessions. I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one because everybody's journey is so different. Yeah. And from that, I'm telling you, Connie, I got designers who are young and people who are like 50 <laughs> who have been in the fashion industry. Yeah. And, and it, it, was, it was everything from like someone who wants to get into textile design, 
um, people who are, you know, going into creating like clothing brands. Um, I even got like someone who's working in graphic design. So there was no limitation. And the reason I did that for that period um, was because I wanted to just see what I wanted to see what the need is, you know, in the industry. So they weren't all based in Kenya. Some of them were based um, in other countries around the world. I had UK um, and um, yeah, it's different parts. Um, so I do mentorship. Um, I, I, I tend to be very strategic about it because it's hard to accommodate people every single time. Um, so for me at that time I had said, you know, my mornings, I'm going to dedicate them to mentorship. So even now, if I was to start again, I'd probably do it, um, next year and like structure it so that it was, you know, there was a bit of consistency across the board. Um, also for me to give the best of myself to people, right? Because you don't set up to do mentorship and then give yourself, give half of yourself. You want to, you want to, yeah, you want to, you want to actually accompany, um, people. And, and I did have follow-up sessions as well. Um, so there, there wasn't a single person who didn't say, oh my God, can I call you again? Can I, can we have another session? So I, I had at least two, three sessions with each, with each person. Um, Joel, over to you. Um, what is your experience in interacting with established designers in Kenya? Have you had a chance to interact with any established designers? Yeah, um, it's been quite interesting, actually. I'd say there's two sides of the coin. Um, fortunately enough, through Meta, I got to um, interact with um, quite a few established designers through their fashion product lab. Uh, so I got to meet uh, Sunny Dolat, I got to meet Katibula Mwendoa, and that was amazing because these are people who've tried and tested uh, things before, so they're able to see things from a different perspective. And that was amazing because, um, especially for the mentors assigned to one on one, well, that was Michelle. Um, she got to work with me throughout my uh, journey as a young designer, where I have so many ideas, but how many are actually feasible? So that was important because she, we got to meet, like you say, one on one sessions, and she'd kind of guide me towards understanding my target market. And that was important um, because it helped me build now new collections geared specifically towards uh, my target market. At the same time, um, I got to pitch as well to uh, NNI and Equator, and they're really happy to have my, my bags, my leather bags in their store, which is amazing because it's not really a chance you get when you're trying to disrupt a leather industry or something that's been um, held by other people for a long time. Um, the flip side <laughs> is that uh, I have approached other established designers to either stock my bags or even just link me to um, different places where I can get sourcing materials or even to the uh, places themselves where I need to buy the leather. And it was difficult because it's almost like you're not meant to enter this industry. So they give you that kind of a cold shoulder where maybe your product isn't good enough. I can't put your product next to so-and-so because no one really knows you. I can't value your product this highly because it's next to this established designer. So it was really discouraging for my first uh, luxury leather bag collection to really be put down in, in a corner because I was a nobody. And that was difficult to go through as a young designer, but that didn't stop me because I felt like I believed in my product. And getting yeah, getting those established designers who are happy to even use their platform to really uplift you in terms of, because um, it was a whole new market, whole new target market for the leather bags compared to my streetwear brand. And being able to be put in that platform was so important for me. And yes, I did get an opportunity, but it wasn't easy. Um, people aren't too happy sharing um, information or even linking you to the right contacts, um, unfortunately. But for me, I took it positively and really 
pushed me to working harder towards my second collection, which was undeniable. Like, so when I did the second collection, it was more like, yo, we really want to work with you. So the same people <laughs> come back to you and they're like, oh, can we stop your... Exactly, exactly. So Winnie, yeah. from your end as a stylist and a consumer, what can be done, in your opinion, by the Kenya creative industry in terms of policies? Um, what do you think um, policies, if, whether it's the government or associations or, or bodies that can do to support the Kenyan fashion creative industry, what do you think can be done? Uh, I think a lot can actually be done because um, when you look at, let me just uh, state with where I feel like we sh it will start from. First of all, the education system. Because our education system doesn't really consider the creative industry as something. Because we we both we all, we all go to school and then the end product is get a white collar job. So I feel like the education system needs to be checked into, which again means the retraining of teachers will be required, and then probably new learning learning equipment just to instill this from preschool all the way to tertiary level, and then there are. Uh, financial sector as well because it's really hard to get financing for people in the creative industry let's say uh, fashion designers for example and I feel like there should be actually a system where it's not the same the same um, financing that happens to every other sector maybe we should have something specific for the fashion and creative industry that way there's, there's a system set in place that actually caters for them and monitors the progress as well and then another thing i feel the government can help with is subsidies coming up with subsidies because that will help a lot with production costs as well and then come with trade policies as well trade pol policies that will also um, help when it comes to say international uh, multicultural basis in terms of being able to even import items and export items because I feel like there's so much talent in here and sometimes it will help if we actually open up the market in such a, in such a way that even young established designers, everybody has a platform to actually make it work and then investment, quality control policies. So these are just some of the things that I feel the government and even the fashion stakeholders can actually put in place to help with it and then also just build the infrastructure for the creative industry because the creative industry is just an economy on its own and when you look at um, on international level the creative economy actually brings in a lot of money in a year when you look at say UK UK they say that in a day they get I don't know pretty much quite a, a good chunk of money so if that is something that could also be looked into here in Kenya specifically you will find that the growth will be quite good and then that that creates job opportunities that boost the economy so it's it has a ripple effect yeah um and I'll go back to you um have you done any projects or would you be open to doing any collaborative projects with um local um young designers and um, stylist influencers have you done any projects is that something you're open to i'm always open to collaborations that's the thing it just has to be the right fit Right. You know, because with any person you collaborate with, the language you speak should be aligned, you know. So I'm not going to collaborate with someone who um, is, is not aligned with my policies or is not aligned with my brand values. Right. So if their values are shared with me and they value, for instance, transparency, um, they value ethical manufacturing, they value sourcing um, environmentally friendly materials then of course that's a natural, um, uh, it gives us something to start with, right? 
because then you, you, when you come together, you can actually make some really amazing work. I mean, I've done collaborations with, with some of my peers, even when, you know, early stages of my brand, like Ami Doshisha. I mean, I'm not, I'm not categorizing her under the small um, or young designer brand, but I'm just, it's just, you know, to elaborate that you can actually collaborate with your peers, you know, and younger designers. So I'm always open. It just needs to make sense for both our brands because the collaboration needs to make both of us look good. It needs to make both of us shine, you know? So, um, one of the latest collaborations I've done hasn't been with a Kenyan brand, but that's also because this young designer, um, was an expert and is an expert in, in the field that she works in, you know? So I was like, Hey, let's collaborate and do something. And, and, you know, if I had found someone that had the same qualities in Kenya, I would have been more than happy to support that. Yeah. Um, Joel, what do you, in your opinion, what is the, you know, this, the, this rift between the young um, and established designers, what, what do you think is causing it? What do you think is the cause in your opinion? Cause you're, you're looking in the eyes from as a young designer. Yeah. Um, I think to begin with, in terms of even the market share, it's almost like established designers already have their clientele who trust them. And each pop-up market is the same thing. I'd, I'd have my stand. I've not been to too many, I must admit, but I've had my stand. People would walk right past. They don't even look. They don't even give you a chance to ask you questions, engage you. They just walk past and go to the next designer or the next product that they know about or they know the person, per se, who's even selling it at much higher cost. So... It was quite discouraging for a young and upcoming designer like me to see that happen. Where I'm not getting a level, um, play, it's not a level playing field, regardless of my products being up to par. Uh, yes, I must admit, um, as young and upcoming designers, we have, um, you could say, erratic um, designs or a bit more unconventional. But being given the platform is so important because there are people who would like um, those products. So that rift and that separation is more like you guys are meant to appeal to a certain group of people and we'll take care of the people who can afford, you know, higher end products when really it's, it's keeping you in the box, not helping you get a chance to evolve and really make this your living. So most people are discouraged uh, about being a fashion designer because we're not getting linked to the people who will actually make this work and scale it to the level where it's actually, it can actually be my only job. And it's, it's difficult because one in how many, one in 500, 300 get the opportunity I've gotten to get mentored. And I don't think I'm the most talented or you know, the best in my group. There are many people who are talented as well who just need that opportunity. Um, so yeah, I'd say the rift is caused by that lack of opportunity or just that trust for the younger generation. Yeah. So what do you think can be done? How can we bridge this gap? Um, I was really happy with what Meta did. Um, being able to select in, within their scale uh, the five designers who went through that program. I feel like the government has the opportunity to even um, or have the ability to do that at a bigger scale, maybe 100 designers, maybe 50 designers every six months. And slowly by slowly, I being, I mean, given that opportunity, I've been able to uplift other upcoming photographers, artists, musicians, that's just one person. Um, the other four designers I was with have also done the same thing. People doing great things, even for grassroots level and helping other people come up by teaching them. So that's five people leading to 30 people being influenced, leading to 100 people. So if you had Exactly, yeah. So we've had more opportunities for young people to be uplifted through whatever it could be, cultural hubs, even funding the Kenyan Fashion Council to come up with a uh, setup where they're being mentored by other upcoming designers. So even, to be fair, I could be in a position to even help a few people, even though I'm just starting out. But yeah, just getting more people in the conversation, more talks like this, 
every now and then consistently shoving it in people's faces that we are also an essential service. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, because I feel like yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I know it's difficult. It's difficult um, in a developing country to look at a creative industry as having value, but really we do carry a big um, portion of them. You know exactly. Yeah. Um, so Winnie, over to you. Um, again, you are using two eyes as a stylist and a Kenyan consumer. What are the different uh, major difference between um, young brands and established brands in terms of their creativity and the way they package themselves? What are some of the key differences that you've seen between the two, young um, and established brands? I'd probably answer that by using Anyangumpinga's words when she started. She said, um, there's a certain style she has and I think anytime you see anything on social media, you know this is Anyango. And even the way she dresses, you can actually tell this is Anyango. So I feel like that's what, that is one of the things that lacks with the young designers. Because it could be a situation of maybe they still haven't found their niche. Maybe they're still experimenting and all. But now it comes out as a problem because we see you all over the place. We can't really tell what is the unique style you have for your brand. And again, I think that points to probably lack of brand identity or brand strategy. Because if you actually worked on that, then it will guide you in coming up with something. Like once you've identified, this is your target market, this is the di direction I'm going towards, and this is the kind of uh, uniqueness that I want to be associated with, then it guides you through everything. Because uh, as of now you find, um, it's like the young designers mostly, they, they try to go with what is currently trending. So if people are now wearing shirt dresses, they're also producing shirt dresses. If people are wearing this, they're also producing this. And I understand they're also trying to reach to the mass market. But at the same time, we need something that will separate you and differentiate you from the rest. And I think that is one of the main winners for that. And then when it comes to creativity, um, there's something about authenticity as well. And um, Sadly so, there's nothing really, or rather, there are very few original items in the world because nothing is new under the sun. So it's pretty much whatever is being produced, somebody has already done it. But again, I feel like um, probably young designers now don't know or haven't really understood their mastery in um, being inspired without copy-pasting. So most of the times, like, uh, I remember there's a time uh, there's a young designer who approached me to if I could, if they could send over some items. So I asked them, okay, let me just see the, the images first. And then I, when I saw the images, it was pretty much what is everyone is wearing on the streets. And so in a nice way, I tried to explain to them how that would actually shoot them in the foot again with the, if they don't really look into it. And then if I post it, there's nothing, there's no, there's no unique factor that will actually make somebody want to go to the brand, because that is something that you can actually get on the streets. So um, that is the other aspect again, um, in as much as you get inspired by something, try to tweak it in a way that will work for you and for your brand, and that will make you be different from the rest. Yeah, I think that is one of the main things, just creativity and understanding what your brand is about and how you can actually now bring it, execute it in a way that will meet your end result. Great, great. Okay, um, Manyango, to you, over to you. I mean, in your opinion, what policies can be put in place to help the growth both established and upcoming designers? Um, I think when you look at the fashion industry in Kenya, one of the biggest things that has been an issue is retail, right? So if you look at the retail 
uh, market or industry, a lot of what we find is products from overseas, cheap import and then put into stores, you know. So there is money, you know. And one policy that I've always spoken about is if the government would actually pose a challenge to all these companies that are coming into Kenya and say, you know, you need to allocate 15% of your store space to Kenyan brands. I feel like that would elevate, um, it would elevate the, the fashion business for a lot of people, right? Because a lot of designers don't have access to stores um, they probably can't afford it. Um, it's expensive running a store, generally. Anybody will tell you the overheads are really um, expensive. You know, if you think of the film industry and how it actually started rising, it was because the government said um, national television needs to start showing a percentage of Kenyan films on television. And this is the same thing we need in fashion, you know, for us to actually see tangible growth this is something that needs to be put in place. Also to add on to that, in your opinion, what can be done to bridge the gap between um, uh, young and established designers? Because at least Joel has given his um, perspective. What is your perspective? Yeah. And actually something really struck me when Joel was speaking because um, I, I thought to myself, like some of the brands that have approached me, why I responded to certain brands and why I didn't respond to others is because I, I feel like when you're coming to someone, to mentor you, um, and, and this, this is something that I understood even as I was going to other people to mentor me, is I, I didn't have a lot of product to show and I hadn't invested in myself enough, right? And this is a really important aspect. So as a young designer, first you start off with investing in yourself, right? Because you can have an idea on paper, yeah? And if you haven't made even three samples or four samples that you can show, um, I don't understand who you are. And maybe you're trying to understand who you are, right? Um, now, in terms of bridging the gap, um, I think communication and transparency is such an underrated thing, right? I don't mean that I need to know, you know, what you buy for your lunch, <laughs> right? But like that open channel of communication, especially in terms of sourcing and also being genuine enough to say, to want people to grow, you know? Because you're not gonna be alive forever at the end of the day. So why wouldn't you want to impart knowledge on a generation of people who would learn from you and make the industry even better? You know, just because I'm in this industry, it doesn't mean I'm going to be here forever. So the most I can do to actually leave a legacy is to impart knowledge on people who are going to even come and do things even better than I've been able to do them, you know. Um, and, and it should be something that a lot of designers should be thinking about. Sharing information doesn't cost you a thing. It's not a threat to your business. It's, it's not even going to change anything in your business, right? Your customers will buy your products because they like your products. And they should be able to buy my products and also buy Joel's products without it being like about competition at the end of the day, right? Um, so I feel like that open channel of communication needs to really be emphasized.
um, and, and also sharing from experience so that if I'm going to make recommendations for you, if you ask me about sourcing, um, I'm not going to recommend, you know, a company that I know is unethical or doesn't really deliver. I'm going to recommend a company that I know is actually going to make sure you get the right products and what you need, because that's also something that I've found is sometimes people will recommend, re recommend companies knowing fully well that they're not the best company for a brand to work with, you know? Um, and, and I just believe that's, you're just doing a brand a disservice, you know? So, so you need to also think, think about any brand that you mentor the same way you'd mentor your younger sister, your family member, you know, what would you want for yourself? You should, whatever you would want for yourself is what you should want for other people as well. And I think that's a kind of mentality that's going to help us grow as an industry. Great. Um, Joa, um, so you've done the Meta program. Um, that was, um, was it that, the way, was that, that last year? It was last year or this year? Last year, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that ended and now you've, you know, learned and moved on. Are you currently being um, mentored by any designer currently, any established designer? At the moment, no. Yeah, I do reach out um, just to get advice or to just... Um, sort of plug myself and send my work. Um, but no, I'm not being mentored, uh, currently not being mentored uh, by an established designer. In terms of business and uh, personal coaching, yes. But no, no, not at the moment. Okay, yeah. given the choice, which local established designer would you love to be mentored by and why? Wow. Um, I'd say I've been, a, I've been a big admirer of um, Kiko Romeo. Um, so Anne and uh, Iona, like the whole mother-daughter co-designing thing going on. That, that was amazing. And I got an opportunity to be in the same room with Iona, actually, um, as I was doing um, organizational training with GIZ. So it was amazing to see how really they've been able to build their design language and stick to their story. Like um, Anyang Pinga said, like you have to have your, your, your niche and your type of your work and still get it to that level where they're in fashion week abroad. And so, yeah, being able to interact with them. If I got an opportunity, I'd really be happy to, yeah, to do that. Great. Um, Winnie, um, again, as a stylist and consumer, what, what are the factors that create a negative, you know, aspect or like leave you the negative feeling about a brand, whether it's up or established? What key things that do brand do's and you're like, no, I, I, I don't want to work with them. Um, fashion um, brand, the young or established, what are the key factors that are, I almost say like are a put up for you? Okay, I think it's uh, it still goes down to boils down to the issue of brand identity and all that. Because when it comes to branding, um, there are things that you also promise the people. Because once you set up a company, you usually you have your values, you have your vision, you promise the client this is what you're going to do. So once you don't deliver on that promise, then immediately our perception about you changes. If you say uh, we're going to give you quality products, uh, products that are worth your money, worth your value, but then a month down the line, the product is faded, probably the hems are coming, they're falling apart, the seams are falling apart. Clearly, it will be very hard for somebody to come back and buy an item from you. So those small things, uh, those attention to detail, actually play a big factor in ruining their brand perception um, on the, from the consumer side. And then I think another thing, again, is 
and sometimes it can also work it can also happen because there's poor market fit probably you didn't do your proper research so you didn't um you didn't you don't know if what you're bringing to the table is actually what your target market wants or needs and in that case then it means that you're definitely going to fail and if For you're going more to of these fail episodes, then you can subscribe um, to our to podcast really channel change, on google podcast apple podcast spotify this, this or your favorite podcast platform of your choice really to stay in touch with us follow us on twitter itself. and facebook at we are meta nbo or email us at nairobi at meta.co until next time thanks for listening that changes it's going to be very hard for you to not turn them back to tell them that oh, no we are sorry this is actually how we are the companies that have actually managed to do a flip over but not many usually succeed yeah so for me i think it just boils down to have you understood who you are as a brand and are you ready to deliver on the promise because once that is sorted then i think the rest will fall into place so for what i understand from this brand promise is is really key um yeah you're young yeah. or established brand it's brand what you say is what you better do. Exactly, because until until who you think you are and who we think you are align, then there's something wrong going on. Um, Anyango, what, what do you think, um, for especially young designers, what do you think is paramount for them to do to ensure the success of their brands? Because you, you've been in the industry for long, so you've young brands come and go, some stay, some don't make it. What do you think is paramount for them to succeed? Well, that's the thing. You've, you've actually answered it by saying, you know, we've seen brands come and go. It's consistency. The first one is consistency. How dedicated are you to your brand and the growth of your brand? Are you doing it because it's cool and you want to make dresses for people to wear blankets and wine and that's it? Um, or are you doing it because you want to create a business? Um, and then do your research. Know your target audience. Um, and by knowing your target audience, you're also going to create products that are directed to that market. Um, and again, of course, this is repetitive, but authenticity. If you don't know who you are and you don't believe in your product, um, don't expect anybody else to believe in your product right? If you come to me and tell me I want to, I'm selling this, but it doesn't look like what you should be selling, um, then nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to buy it, right? Um, so that's really important. And then production as well, because quality control is something that is, um, it's, it's a bit of a challenge for, for a lot of brands, uh, because we're used to working with tailors, um, and some of these tailors have been in the industry for a very long time, so they hope have their own style of working. Um, but I think you have to know what kind of finish you want for your product and then insist on that kind of finishing um, just because it's going to make or break your brand, right? And, and also think about the future, right? So once you've, you've basically got your small market, would you like to expand internationally? And if you're looking to expand internationally, what are some of the things you need to put into place to make sure that you are actually able to deliver on the promise that you're giving to, to customers, right? Because we can't expect to, our, our market is so small that um, unless you have five or six retail outlets spread out around the country, you know, 
um, it's 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 a lot harder to sort of like really make big sales. So you you need to be looking at expanding and how to reach a wider market. Um, and yeah, just invest invest in yourself, invest in your dream. You know, invest in your dream because that's what's going to make the difference between you st- succeeding or staying on top of the game, and 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 you know sort of quitting. You know. Um, and it's really, really important to also um, just um, don't listen to all the noise because there's a lot of noise that comes externally, you know. You'll get it from your peers, you'll get it from your family, you'll get it from all kinds of places. And people will try, when you're doing something, people will try to discourage you from doing it because they don't have the courage to do it themselves. And that's the one, once you understand that, you learn to drown out the noise from other people, you know. Uh, people will complain about your price. People will complain about everything they can complain about. Everything. They'll complain about anything. So you have to really learn to drown out those voices and say, you know what, my price is X amount and that's my price. What you'll end up doing is attracting the right consumer for your product, you know. Um, yeah. Doesn't haggle for a discount all the time, doesn't complain all the time because guess what? You've done your work, right? You've said this is who I am, this is the kind of material I'm using, this is a quality product, this is my design, this is my product coming to you, right? So anything else um is just, you know, if someone comes to you and says, "Oh, I really love your product, but it's expensive." I'm like, "I know. Thanks." <laughs> And you move on. <laughs> yeah. And you're, and you're like, thank you. I know. And you move on. Like, we're not having a debate about my product, right? If you are coming to me to advise me on something and say, hey, you know, I wore your dress and I noticed that the seams are coming apart or whatever, that's a completely different thing, right? So um, I still have people that I dressed very early on, like in my career, when I wasn't even sure about my brand identity, right? And they still tell me how they're still wearing some of those dresses. Because even at that age, even at that stage, I understood the importance of quality and sourcing materials that actually last, you know? And this is something like, if you see a dress, you'd be like, oh, that's a young finger. But like, it's so different from like what her brand has become right now. You know, but the fact that someone still has it because you have to be designing with longevity in mind. Don't just go and buy something because the person at the market told you this is a cheap fabric. Just take it, you know, and when you look at it, you you see that the quality is not good. You're you're basically shooting yourself in the foot very, very early on. Um, So I think that there's so many different things, but I think the most important is actually sticking by the values of your brand first of all create know what your values are and stick by them perfect thank you um i'm joel um in your opinion um as a young designer what 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 policies or what do you think the government can do to to support um you know young designers because um you know i i get a lot of you know feedback from designers like you know i'm starting out calling it so hard funding i mean there's just so much so I almost do, do, do yeah, I think almost like young designers feel like they're disadvantaged even before they start out. They're almost like giving up. Do you get that feeling also? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I must say I'm always thankful for the support system I have 
because I do appreciate that I'm in a privileged position to be able to even afford to try out things. Not anyone just has that opportunity. Um, it's unfortunate because there's so many people who are talented and would just need that uh, belief in them for them to be given a platform or even funding for them to even make out the first samples, like Anyango was saying, just make out the first samples. Some people can't even afford to do that. It doesn't mean they don't have the ideas. And um, more so, I think uh, the government can set up like um, like subsidies, like uh, Winnie mentioned. Because even now, I'm still struggling with finding a manufacturer that's happy to produce in smaller pieces. You know, I'm not, I'm not in a position where I can do 100, 200 pieces of something that's not been tested. And also, I can't even afford it, to be honest. Um, so can we have... Um, the workforce and the tailors, so many tailors in town, so many, but it's all separate and it's all, oh, this is my tailor, I don't want to tell you about my tailor, you know, because it's difficult, first it's difficult to find really good ones and reliable ones, 100%, yeah, so I feel like the government is a position where they can have maybe vetting to have like a hub or a setup where if you come here, you'll have this many, uh, access to these many tailors and it'll be subsidized, so they'll pay a certain amount to the tailors directly so that we don't have to pay them maybe you know, as much, and fair trade as well. So the tailor is happy, we're happy because we're getting access to the right tailors. And generally, um, you can be able to make your samples in five pieces, 10 pieces. Um, access to sourcing, I'd say if you, I mean, most of people know where to source things. Uh, but when it comes to manufacturing, that's where I really struggled. I still trying to find the right place to get the right cotton or to get the right um, printing. So I feel like um, if we could get that um, set up where we're accessing tailors at better costs and people have already been vetted, it's easier because it's taken me two, three years to find a reliable tailor <laughs> who I, I'm still not able to produce at this scale because I only have maybe a few of them. And ideally, um, the, you know, the access is so important. So yes, I could say that's the main thing I've really struggled with, the manufacturing costs and um, yeah, the access to the right um, tailors. Yeah. Great. And Winnie, what, what ways, in your opinion, do you think upcoming and established designers can work together to grow the in local fashion industry? I think when I read that question, the first thing that popped into my head was just mentorship and collaboration. I think there are no two ways about it. And maybe just if I could go back to what Joel had said earlier on, uh, he said when pop-ups are organized, most of the times people dismiss them and they go to the established designers. And I'm reminded of something someone once said, um, when, you, when you get to the table, I mean, don't build up a wall, create a longer table. So I feel like for the established designers, how they can hold the hands of such, of their upcoming ones is during pop-up sessions. Say if people come your way and clearly they haven't found anything in your stall and or on your stand, then how about you redirect them to the younger one? Like instead of just um, when they say, ah, oh, sorry, I'll come next time, and then you let them go, how about you tell them, go check out that uh, Joel stand, go check out whoever stand, because I feel like that, even if they don't buy, first it encourages the young designer, because they feel like they have a place also in the industry, and two, it also just encourages them to continue producing, because they feel like maybe one day somebody will just also walk by my walk by my stand, or if they can even buy something. <clears throat> so I feel like that is one way I feel that maybe the established designers need to work on. 
And then the other thing is, I think we've also realized there's no way we, there's no way we can go without collaborations, and that is why you find right now collaborations are popping up left, right, center because people have realized if I need to go further, then I need to work with someone. So um, there's the, the the time where we would be threatened with each other, but feel like if I bring them closer, then I'm bringing them to my clients or they're getting a piece of my cake. I think that time has passed and there's space for everyone and everybody has a unique thing. Like you might be producing similar things, but you have different target markets of different niches or different agendas, visions. So I feel like if collaborations happen, like picture this, an established designer, uh, I'm sorry, my sinuses are acting up. So if um, an established designer comes and partners with a young designer, there's so much, there's something beautiful that ca can come out of it. If we bank on the knowledge and experience the established designer has, and we bank on the recklessness, and it's recklessness in a good way, that the young designer has, the desire to experiment, try new things, if we combine those two and they come together and they fuse, I think something beautiful can really come out of it. So I think um, the time has come for when people just need to either come a bit lower and come a bit higher, meet each other halfway and produce something beautiful. I mean, we are all in this for this to work. So if we hold each other hand, we'll go first and we'll go further. That's pretty much it. Work together and collaborate. Great. Yeah. Um, thank you, um, Nyango, Joel, and when it's been an amazing session. Thank you um, also to uh, Meta and leave us for uh, giving us a platform to share our insights. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us on Nairobi at Meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.